I'm Steve Denise and welcome to The Bookstash, a podcast where I chat with fantasy author Ash Oldfield about reading, writing and everything in between. All right, Ash, how are you doing? Uh, I've been better. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so I've actually been quite sick recently. I don't know if you've noticed the voice. <laughs> um, so today we're actually going to revisit a book I've read quite a few years ago. Um, so sorry if it gets a little bit confusing from here on out. And a little bit croaky. Yeah, I've been fever central and laryngitis, I think the doctor said. Yay. Nice. <laughs> okay. So what book have you been reading a little yeah. while ago that you're revisiting? So I've been meaning to uh, do a podcast about Neil Gaiman's books for a while. So I thought that this is the perfect opportunity to talk about one of them. And basically it was whichever one I could find from the library that I'd read before. <laughs> so I picked up the graveyard book, which is how it sounds. It's set in a graveyard, which is um, a really great setting, surprisingly. Um, so this was not my first Neil Gaiman that I've read. The first first game and that I read was uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. Oh, yeah. Which is as bizarre as it sounds and it's not an actual ocean like when we go to the beach, uh, but I couldn't really remember enough about that. So I wanted to talk about the Graveyard book, which was the second Gaiman book I read that I thought would spark me down a trail of Neil Gaiman books. Um, Neil Gaiman reminds me a lot of her, like that English version of Haruki Murakami. Ah, that's a really so good comparison. he's yeah. quite bizarre and I think only he could do what he does. He writes very strange, twisted, weird things that will stand the test of time, I think. I think in 100 years' time he will still be remembered along with Terry Pratchett, who he's written some books with before. Mm, So anything by Neil Gaiman is going to be beautifully written. Yeah. Uh, This one I liked in particular because it's actually a children's book, but – it's very creepy. So the be- at the beginning of the book, a man called Jack is this creepy murderer um, who has been sent to assassinate an entire family. So the story actually begins with the line, uh, there was a hand in the darkness and it held a knife. But there's a toddler from that family that somehow manages to escape and he crawls into a graveyard. And then the inhabitants of the graveyard, so the spirits of the dead, raise him. And it really is a village that raises a child. So they use their different skills to raise him normally. So he's raised by ghosts. Raised by ghosts. That's cool. But the ghosts are not the scary bit. It's safe with the ghosts in the graveyard and he's only safe while he's in the graveyard. Um, And I felt like this book was a really good metaphor because he's uh, a living boy. He can't obviously live in the graveyard forever. So he has to leave. He has to go out into the real world. So I think it's a metaphor for parents of your kids. You can't, you can't keep your kids safe and home with you forever. You have to let them out into the real world, but you know, there's danger there. Yeah. So for the case of this boy, uh, they call him Bod. Yep. I think as in like a body. I'm not, I'm not sure. I can't remember. Because he has a body. (laughs) Yeah. Um, with Bod, if he leaves the graveyard, yep. this assassin's going to come after him. The graveyard can't, uh, the graveyard's magic can't protect him as soon as he leaves those gates. So it's a very real danger. But once he's an adult, he's, he's not going to want to live in a graveyard for the rest of his life. He's going to want love. He's going to want friendship with other living human beings. Yeah. Um, so the book is quite creepy but in a beautiful way, which mm-hmm. only I think only Neil Gaiman can do. Um <laughs> 
the other thing, as I said, it is a children's book and it's a real coming-of-age book, but he uses such beautiful language. Mm. Uh, he uses lovely big words that um, – so I wrote down a couple, so like inferior doggerel and uh, pestilent breed. And it's kind of okay because it's all about the context. Yep. So I think that's the lesson I learned from this today is keeping that context right. So embellish on that when you say keeping the context right, you mean – Using so big words in the right place, but if, in what way? If you use a thing like uh, words like inferior doggerel or pestilent breed, you have to have a dog there to say, we're talking about the dog or, which, you know, whatever it is he's yelling at to know, oh, he's yelling, this is an insult. Mm-hmm. So um, the kids can figure out, oh, this is a funny insult, not just, oh, these are big words, I don't know. So you just have to have dots for the kids to join to yeah. Yeah, exactly. understand words. Well, to use words they definitely won't understand, but they can fill in the gaps with. You need to lead them down the path, I suppose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is it's such a bizarre and quaint story that <laughs> I think if your kid doesn't get past the first page, they're not going to finish it. So I think that's a good you know, good test, get them to scan the first page. And What age group is the book written for? Um. I don't know. I picked it up in the young adult category, which is kind of like 11 plus, 10, mm-hmm. 11 plus, but I have heard of it as for um, like even younger children have listened to the audio book. Oh, really? Uh, okay. When I looked this up um, online, mm. some reviewers said, I put this audio book on for my four-year-old and they loved it. And um, being a Neil Gaiman book, it would probably be just as appealing for an adult. And actually for those who listen to audiobooks, I think Neil Gaiman reads also uh, reads it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think he narrates it in the audiobook. Yeah, yeah. Um, and look at these cool pictures in the edition. So for our podcast listeners, they can't see the cool pictures, but maybe I, I can find some photos that we can link to. Yeah, yeah we can. The- we can take a photo before I take it back to the library. The artwork is awesome. Yeah, so really awesome because Neil Gaiman is also known. Look at that. That is cool. <laughs> uh, Neil Gaiman is it's also known for his. Material, yeah, yeah no, <laughs> showing up, holding up pictures for everybody. I said I'm sick. Um, yeah, Neil Gaiman is known for his graphic novels as well. So mm. uh, this is kind of a nice little introduction to that with the kind of artwork he has to go along with his stories. So this is a very visual, visceral book. Um, so this is a really good entry-level book. If you have never read any Neil Gaiman, I feel like this is a really good place to start. It's not too long um, and it's uh, really easy to get into, I think. Is everything that Neil Gaiman writes young adult? No, 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 no. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think so. Yeah. Um, he, he writes across genres. So I think his one of his most recent books was on Norse mythology or something for adults, adult readers. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah that sounds awesome. So any other lessons from the book, Ash? Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, well, we were talking before that I was holding up pictures for the audience to oh, see yeah. that they're not here. <laughs> uh, I actually think that for young adult especially, uh, illustrations can really make a story. But if you have a look, there's maybe five or six illustrations in the whole book. Mm. So um, not having overkill with those illustrations um, because especially, you know, they're just starting to read big, big books. Um, they don't want all the pictures to seem like they're babies, but at the same time it, I think it really adds to the story and is reminiscent of the very first chapter books that kids read. So it's a good uh, transition book, I think, between children's books and young adult books. And I think it is good too for kids to get the opportunity to start to use their imagination and create the characters in their own minds Mm, and stuff. But sometimes it can also be good to, I almost 
see what you're thinking and then get it given a picture and really yeah. push, like test what you think and yeah, fire that side of the brain up a bit more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's really um, cool. And I think as well, I often have parents ask me, you know, this is on the shelf for young adult. How do I know it's safe? Mm. Uh, I kind of say you can't unless you've read it, but that one is safe. There's no uh, overly graphic scenes or anything like that to really terrify your kid. It it straddles that boundary quite nicely Um, because there are some young adult books that I say actually they're not young adult don't give that to your child. <laughs> Remember we were in that um, yeah, bookstore and that yeah. lady was going to buy a book and I was like, no, 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 no don't buy that. Young adult can mean like a, uh, as much a it's such 11 a spectrum. year old as an 18 year old or an adult. I mean, 20 year olds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it is a spectrum. So, but yeah, that one's more for the younger. For the younger end of the market. Yeah. I think something else that's interesting probably too for writers from a technical aspect is, you know, if you have a good illustrator that you know that you could work with, work closely with them to create artwork. You know, you can always integrate that out with your designer. Get well, into the did layout. you know with the Rochea series, mm. um, I hadn't actually really thought about Rochea's school uniform mm-hmm. and I was working with an illustrator originally on a book cover um, and she drew a uniform from her, from reading the book yeah. and what she imagined it should be. And then that informed my writing oh, of cool. actually her school uniform yeah. should be like this in a certain way, because I've said that dragons need to have skin tight clothing. Yeah. So she's then created quite a formal looking uniform. Yeah, it's a good um, point. It's, we- it's almost a different way you can get an insight into how you're presenting characters in your story to a reader. Mm, and this was quite early on as well. Yeah. Um, so it really helped me develop the world much better through seeing how other people are seeing mm. what I've written. So that that was really good because I've always said I'm not a very visual person. So getting yeah. a visual person to do some illustrations for yeah. me really helped me. And and I guess from a technical standpoint as well, I'll, I'll just add in to say that if you are working with an illustrator, you know, your designer or the person doing the layout of the book should be able to integrate those pictures, but it's important to make sure they make them big enough that they'll work in print. I always recommend actually, if you're working with an illustrator or you're illustrating yourself to make things bigger than you think you need. So you can actually utilize them in not just the book, but if the book is a bigger format or you want to do something else. Posters. Exactly. You can actually use it rather than being stuck. So just always make sure you think about that when getting artwork created. And if they're hand drawing artwork, you can also photograph it. Good tip. Sorry, I did cut you off before. I did say I'm (laughs) sick though. I can't pick up on social cues right now. That's okay. It's normally your tips, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, another thing that I think is cool to talk about on on the topic of illustrations in books, when we're at uh, Supernova, mm. we met uh, a guy called Matt J. Pike, mm. who mm. actually has done something really cool with his illustrations in his book, where he's integrated AR technology. Which oh, is, yeah, yeah. That was really cool. It's augmented reality. Mm. So I think you download an app on your phone and you can show it the picture in the book and it'll actually... I think it floats up a coloured version of the photo in his case or some extra information for the kids. Yeah, it was like a coloured picture and information, like fun facts about characters or, you know, whatever in the world he created. Yeah, it was really cool. He was a super cool... Uh, South Australian-based author, I think. Yes, he was. was, Yeah, Yeah, so he'd come down. He was a really awesome guy as well. Yeah, he was great to have a chat to. He had that um, 
Ah, oh, Slime or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was great. Uh, if you're ever down at, I don't know if he does Comic-Con or other shows as well, but if you're down at Super, any Supernova, you should hunt him down. He's He's got a super cool little display and he loves, I'm sure he'd love to have a chat. What was his name? Because I just knew him as Matt. What was his full name? Matt J. Pike. Matt J. Pike. Yeah. yeah. So he's got a few different series. I think I think ranging in age groups, something mm. a bit younger groups. Well, because he had the adult stuff and he had the kid stuff there as yeah. well, didn't he? So yeah. I think it was like a, a zombie kind of apocalypse thing for for maybe older readers, mm. a younger reader version of that, and then a sort of Guardians of the Galaxy space thing that I got a copy of. That, oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it. Actually, no, I bought that for you. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's cool. So anyway, coming back, so yeah, definitely check out the book is Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book. Um, and It'll yeah. be back in the library by the end of this week. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm going to return it. All right, so... Enough about the book. We want to talk a little bit about tips for readers mm-hmm. and writers. So um, what's your writing tip this time on the podcast, Ash? Okay, so I've actually been thinking about this a lot and I wanted to talk about the importance of finishing something once you have started because that is something I find separates those who are writers and those who just like to write mm. is that you actually finish what you started. Um, so... J.K. Rowling actually gave some really great advice on this. She did a series of tweets. So I really am stealing everything J.K. Rowling has said, (laughs) but I wholeheartedly endorse myself. I totally agree with this. Um, And the the point to note is that very few first books get published. Mm. So Fireburn Island, um, which was my first experience with publishing contracts and everything like that, that was about the fourth or fifth book I wrote. And you'll find with most authors that that's the case. Their Mm. first book is not a publishable book and that's almost their their teething. They're they're finding who they are as a writer. Um, And even Fireburn Island, the version you've read is not the version that it originally it's true. was. It's like the third or fourth. Yes, yes. So, almost, yeah. Um, J.K. Rowling's advice, first thing she says is that even if it isn't the piece of work that finds an audience, it will teach you things you could have learned no other way. Um, and just because it doesn't find the audience does not mean it's bad work. Sometimes publishers don't pick up a book because that's just not what they're looking for right now. Or they've just signed on someone with a very similar book. Or they've had a bad sales year, they can't take a risk on a new face. So it doesn't necessarily mean you've written a bad story. It just means that's not what they're looking for on that day that they look at that manuscript. And competition is quite fierce. It is such a competitive market. Um, So... So, yeah, finishing something, writing something teaches you those skills. Uh, For me, I needed to write quite a few books to find my own writer's voice. I find in the past I would have written whatever author I was reading at the time. That's how I would write. Uh, so yeah. if I was reading J.K. Rowling, I would write, you know, her quaint English style. Like yeah, yeah, if I was reading historical fiction, I'd be quite verbose and use lots of big words and – well, that's what verbose means. But, yes, yeah, so um, <laughs> I would always pick up other writer's styles. But yeah. through writing, finishing, analysing, writing something else, I found my own style. And now I'm very comfortable in that and I fall into my style really quickly. Um, so that was her first piece of advice. And then she said uh, the discipline involved in finishing a piece of creative work is something on which you can truly pride yourself. So... At the moment, oh, we haven't talked about my accountability. 
When do we do that? We're getting to that. We're getting oh, to that. in my accountability, <laughs> um, I'm going to say how proud I am. Like I'm proud of a child, but I'm proud of myself. So actually completing something is a source of pride. So whether you are an artist finishing a painting instead of leaving just as a sketch, whether you are a musician finishing, composing that whole song, not just the opening riff or whatever. I don't know music. Um <laughs> So you'll have turned yourself from somebody who's thinking of mm. or who might or who's trying to someone who actually does the thing. Who has done it. Yeah, yeah. who has done it. I think, um, I think starting a thing is easy. It's fun and easy. Finishing a thing is hard. Finishing a thing is so hard. And this is uh, brings me to the next piece of advice. And once you've done it, you'll know you do it again. and Or no, you can do it again. And so this is where exercises like NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. Uh, the goal is to write 50,000 words in a month um, and that's a novel. That's a first draft for a novel. And um, I think it works out to something like 50, under 1,500 words a day. So a lot of people sign up for NaNoWriMo to prove that they can write a novel. And mm. then once they've written that novel, I did NaNoWriMo about eight years ago, eight or nine years ago now, and what I wrote, absolutely terrible. But I think that may have been the first novel I ever wrote. It's a good way to do it, isn't it? And it, it Well, it taught me that I can. Yeah. I think that's the only NaNoWriMo I've ever successfully completed. So NaNoWriMo takes place... November. November, yeah. Uh, they have one mid-year now as well, I think June or July. Okay. Um, What's the sample? November no, National Novel Writing Month. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've only successfully completed NaNoWriMo once, the first time <laughs> I did it. But then after that, I've been working on other novels that yeah. I haven't wanted to rush. Yeah. So it is a very rushed way to write a novel. I wouldn't normally recommend you write one in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not getting quality. Mm. You're just getting it down. Um, for me, I hadn't even planned out my characters or my story, so it really was drivel, but I proved to myself I could do it and I knew I could do it again from that and that gave me confidence and that's when I first started I wrote that mythology story Ah, so that was my first true novel that I consider so um so yeah it's extraordinarily empowering to know you can do it again um so do not ever quit out of fear of rejection so maybe your third fourth 50th song novel or painting will be the one that makes it that wins the plaudits but you'd never have got there without finishing the others mm. and then she says something that's really great which is that if you then make it all your previous stuff you wrote is going to be interesting to your audience. So if you develop these diehard fans from your 50th books, you've got 49 books you've already written that they will then be interested in. Yeah. You've got all this material they'll want to see. That was all J.K. Rowling's advice. Mm. I paraphrase bits here and there. But um, the thing is, how do you do this? So on a tough love level, you just have to. You just have to stick it out. Uh, John Marsden said he got from another writer is that the best thing a writer can investigate, uh, what, what am I thinking, and invest in is bum glue. No, so yeah, you yeah. just have to sit there <laughs> and you just have to do it. 
And I know that is really hard, but that's when you have to stick it out the most, especially when it seems hard. Um, There are, however, certain things that I do myself to make sure I keep showing up day to day because this is my full-time job and I do have to front up every day. And there's not somebody there, not there's not a boss there waiting, you know, with their arms crossed going, oh, you're late today. So how do I keep motivated every single day? Um, So I've just written down six things that I do. So I thought I'll share that. With, nice. our, with our listeners. So the first thing is to never end uh, the end of a page at the end of a day. So um, if you find you finish the end of an A4 page and that's it for the scene, turn the page, write something a little bit more, even if it's just a few more lines, because coming back to a blank page is hard. It just screams at you <laughs> and it's so hard to get more words on there. The other thing is do not stop when you're stuck. Do not end a day when you're stuck. Figure it out. Work it out before you stop. It's so much harder to come back the next day. Uh, So for myself, the way I do this, I actually dot point notes of what I want to work on the next day. So because I'm excited when I stop, I always stop when I'm still excited and then I dot point like four or five things that I was going to write, but I forced myself to stop. So I've dot pointed them the next day. It doesn't matter if I've got a head cold or whatever. I know what I intended to write. You autopilot. Yes. At the moment, I've got sticky notes that I'm doing this on um, just because I found them and they were a really nice pink color. But (laughs) um, yeah, usually I just dot point on the page and I come back to those dot points. The second is from a practical level, Um, keep yourself hydrated and keep yourself well fed. Mm. When you're working, sometimes I'll sit there for like five hours and not move and then I wonder why I feel terrible and it's because I haven't eaten and I haven't had anything to drink, no water. So when I say hydrated, I mean water, not tea, not coffee, not wine, not brandy, have the water. Water is brain juice. Your, Your brain needs it, so stay hydrated. And there's nothing like low blood sugar to kill your mood. Mm. Uh, So keep some food handy. Keep it where you can easily reach it. The third thing is to set a routine and then make yourself stick to it. I actually find this the hardest, but it's really important because your brain gets used to that and your brain goes, yeah, it's work time now. Let's get to work. So I don't know if you've seen in my home office, I used to have a star chart and I'd give myself stars <laughs> yeah, every yeah, yeah. day I showed. What that star chart showed is that that's a day I I showed up to work. And then when I finish the star chart, I get a reward. So for me, it was like an outing. I'd go somewhere I really yeah. wanted to go. Uh, I don't always finish my star charts, though. But <laughs> it's, it's nice to get a star and you stick it up. I'm such a teacher, but it works <laughs> for me. So, um, yeah, get yourself that routine and your brain will know what to do. Uh, The fourth step, I guess, or piece of advice is that even if it feels like it's poorly written garbage, write it anyway. No one has to see it Mm. and you can rewrite it at a later date. So you can completely polish that, make it more beautiful before anyone has to see it, especially if, like me, you handwrite your first drafts. No one can read that anyway. So what does it matter if it's garbage? I guess if it's crap, what you've written, it's easy to fix it that when you come back to it later, right? You'll know. Yeah, exactly. You can improve it no matter what. (laughs) And sometimes I actually write in a scene that I know is really poorly written. I'll then underneath with like a box around it, I'll write what I actually intended from that scene. (laughs) So when I go back and I go, what is this? What did I mean here? I've left myself a note because I know that was not a good writing day for me. (laughs) I'm going to have to rewrite that later. Actually, that's another point while I'm on that. Don't rewrite every day. 
just keep moving on. Don't never go back and rewrite until you've done the whole book. Um, that wasn't on my list. That just made me think of it. Um, you'll never finish the book if you keep rewriting what you've done the day before. The fifth tip, uh, now this one helped me because of my pride, is that um, tell people you are writing or at least tell one person that you trust that you are writing um, because that keeps you accountable. There's nothing like guilt to motivate you. So I know my lovely husband comes home every day and says, how did your writing go today? And often it didn't go very well but I need to have done something so I can at least say, oh, I did something today. <laughs> I got dressed, you know. So having people know or at least one person know that you're writing something can motivate you. And I actually have a friend, I said, email me what you've written. I promise not to read it, but then it's I can. It's No, well, I'm keeping tabs. So you've got to email That's someone what, I mean, what like, you've yeah. written. Yeah. You know it's been done. She has to prove that it is done. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the last thing is the carrot and the stick. So reward and punishment. Uh, So for the reward, give yourself small treats for working really well that day. So for myself, I allow myself a cup of tea or coffee. Once I've had a good bout of writing, I've heard some writers, they like break up a cookie and Mm. every time they've hit like a hundred words or whatever, they'll eat a piece of cookie. Um, that's always a good one. I would just eat the whole cookie. Yeah. Incidentally. <laughs> I'd forget the cookie was there My and it would go stale. <laughs> yeah. Um, Drake likes sausages. Drake is our dog. <laughs> Where did that come from? That's what he likes for his treat. Oh, oh yeah, when we showed him yeah, and he was yeah. in the show ring. That was hot dogs. Little hot dogs. Yeah. Um, and then the punishment, so the stick, you know, carrot, have a cookie, stick, uh, what will happen to you if you don't write? So for myself, I had quit full-time work to try to pursue writing. My threat to myself was I have to go back to full-time work if I don't do this. If I'm not being productive, I have to go find a job. And I actually went so far as to get my CV prepared for, for looking for jobs because I wasn't working well and preparing that CV, that resume, oh, that got me writing. <laughs> That's what got me um, to finish Fireburn Island for the first mm. time. So they're my six tips. Those are good tips. They're awesome tips. Did you want a summary? Um, yep. Let's go back through them again. So six tips to keep your bum glue going, get you finishing these books. Go, Ash. Number one, never end on a blank page or when you're stuck. Number two, keep yourself hydrated and fed. Number three, set a routine, stick to it. Number four, keep going even if it feels like it's rubbish. Number five, uh, tell people or at least one person that you're writing. And number six, reward and punishment. Excellent. They're good tips. You're doing well despite being sick. <laughs> so, How many times have we had to pause now? <laughs> <laughs> so no one has to... No one has to uh, or no one gets to go away without writing a book, hopefully you can come back and actually tell us how you've used the tips. Yes. I want to see tweets. We love when we see tweets from people telling us they're actually <laughs> using your advice. Um, all right. So you asked about it before. Now you get to do it. Accountability. Where are you at? Well, you just said, or oh, tweet it to us and we'll see it. But I have been so serious about finishing book three of the Rochea series. I've been on a social media hiatus. So I've quit. Well, I haven't quit social media, but I don't allow myself on social media uh, until my book is written. 
There's my punishment. I'm not allowed on social media mm. until I've written my novel. Or maybe an um, award. I announced to everybody. <laughs> well, I also announced to everybody on social media. I'm on, on hiatus until I finish the book. So there's also that accountability there. Mm. And I've been writing incredibly well since. Yeah, it's true. So I, yeah, no, I've been doing really, really well. So I've been averaging about ten thousand words a week. Not this week because I've, I've written maybe. 2,000 words this week because I'm a little Still bit sick. Yeah, so I'm actually really happy with myself. I don't have long to go. I'm nearly done. Nice. About three chapters left. Very good. That's yeah, exciting. It's a so home stretch. Considering a few months ago I was struggling to get started, I've, I'm really proud of myself. So that's what I wanted to talk about accountability is that <laughs> when I think about my days at the moment, I have this pride like a mother has for her child, but it's for myself. It's really weird. Like I'm proud as if it's for a different person. It's a weird sensation. Like I, I feel like it can't be me that's doing this. No, it's so good. But I suspect it might be why I got sick. Mm. Maybe pushing myself a little bit too hard. Maybe it's your tips coming to action too well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I gave myself the deadline of my wisdom teeth surgery. I wanted the book done by the time I had my surgery. And then I can't have my surgery because I'm too sick. They won't let me. So I just got myself an extra month. Deadline extension. <laughs> Actually, nearly two months extension <laughs> on my deadline. Wow. All right. Well, I guess that's true. Um, okay. So lucky last thing is the writing prompt. Uh, so I found a few, quite a few online and I, I just want to work through them now. Yeah. Uh, this one says, write about two people seeing each other for the first time. Uh-huh. So kind of a des- description, how are they viewing each other? And um, do it from their different characters' perspective. So people notice different things. Mm-hmm. What does your what do the two characters know about notice about each other? So writing prompt. Yeah, nice. So. That's a good one. Too easy. All right, guys. Well, um, that's it for the podcast, but you can check out our website is uh, bookstashpodcast.com. Um, you can also find us on social media, which is bookstashcast, all one word, on Instagram and Twitter. And if you just search for the bookstash on Facebook, you can find us there. So until next time, keep reading, keep writing, and we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon, if I'm not in bed by then. <laughs> <laughs>